What's up, guys? Welcome to episode two of the Why Are We Sleeping podcast. We are your hosts, Layla and Grace. And yeah, so let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll, baby. Now, 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 now. Yes. Grace, why aren't you sleeping this week? This week, I'm not sleeping because of my schoolwork. That's really it. <laughs> um, and also solitaire. It's mid-semester for us, so I mean, do they announce the halfway point for you too? They kind of. I mean, we're in week seven of fourteen, so yeah. So spring break is coming up. Texas. Grace is going to Texas. <laughs> I'm staying here because I'm broke as fuck. Yeah, I mean school. I've gotten addicted to the Vegas scoring of solitaire, which includes money. Not real money, thank God. Why aren't you sleeping this week, Layla? Um, well, Grace, we were supposed to record this podcast on Thursday the 4th of March, and it is now March 9th, the day that we were supposed to release this episode. It's all good. Schoolwork just kind of got ahead of me. Um, I, you know, trying to balance both doing this and school will take getting used to, but I already think I'm on, I know what I'm going to do for next week. So good. Yeah, just schoolwork this week. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Just really living at my boyfriend's recently. <laughs> We're in that honeymoon phase almost two months now. We'll actually officially be together two months on this Friday, the 12th. So that means me and Taylor, the, on the 25th, this is our one year and five months this month. Jeez. I feel, I honestly hate myself for even saying that I'm, I've am i only been in a relationship for two months because I manifested this relationship for about like six, six months before we even got together. And we were friends before then too. He's a Capricorn, so <laughs> I had to give him a little nudge. Speaking of Capricorn, today we will be... Oh my gosh, what a segue! What a fucking segue. We will be reading our big three on our birth charts. Yeah. To let you guys know who we really are on the inside. And to kind of set the tone for our artists this week. We kind of got a... Hippie vibes. Yeah. So starting off with the sun... The sun represents vitality, a sense of individuality, and outward shining creative energy. So this is like your deepest ego. What's the driving force of all your actions and stuff? Like deep, deep within you. <laughs> so Layla, would you like to talk about your sun? My sun is Virgo. Um, and though my one of my best friends from high school, Elizabeth, will probably disagree with me that I am a Virgo. Um, I do think that I radiate at least some Virgo energy. Um, I am a very, there's a, there's a myth that Virgos are like super organized and super clean and super anal about everything all the time. I'm only anal about a certain amount of things. Like I like to do things by myself. I'm a very independent person. So like, don't ask me if I need help because I will scream at you the the yeah. misconception like i i'm i'm i can be very organized 
but I like to call myself an organized mess because it's organized, but like cluttered. Like only you can understand. Right. And my mom relentlessly will hate me for <laughs> being as messy as I am uh, to her standards, but um, right. it it works for me. So I like it. In this little biography that I'm reading right now, um, it's rare, again, what I said, it's rare to find the stereotypical nitpicky, exacting clean freak in modern day Virgos. The Virgo has evolved with the times and some unmistakable traits that remain um, were generally respectable, hardworking individuals who have a love of knowledge and know-how. Virgo symbol, the Virgin, uh, shows itself in the lives of Virgos through love and of all that is natural. We're sensitive to our surroundings. We do tend to embarrass easily. I don't really think I get embarrassed or I don't embarrass myself often, but I do experience secondhand embarrassment often and but when I when I do something embarrassing in front of people like my face will get so red like I will and I'll just freeze I'll be like (laughs) many Virgo sons are not too comfortable in the limelight these types are just fine living in the background as long as they feel useful and appreciated um they have a strong sense of responsibility I highly doubt that uh, <laughs> convince themselves to be irresponsible about something. Even when they've convinced themselves to be irresponsible about something or the other, they worry about it. So I literally was like, no, I'm not responsible. And I, it says I tell myself I'm irresponsible. <laughs> Which, okay, I'm not responsible as far as what my parents think, but mm-hmm. I feel like for my age, I am very responsible because of them too because they they taught me from a very young age to be self-sufficient and um I mean I pretty much pay for everything by myself now and I'm only 19 the only thing I don't pay for is like healthcare. (laughs) (laughs) so that's my son and talk about what house it's in okay so my son is in the third house um and it says you need Activity and a change of scenery. Often you feel restless. You take pride in mental agility and your friendships. You're able to adapt quite easily to whatever environment you're in, which that is very true, but I always thought that I was only adaptable like that because I grew up in a military family, so I moved Mm -hmm. around a lot. So I thought that's why, but I guess I was just born with it. Uh, There's a strong need to communicate your knowledge with others and to learn. My curiosity is endless. Yeah, I guess I do. I take pride in my intellectual or communicative abilities without feeling the need to lord over it or always be in the know, which is very true because Peter gets mad at me when I say things that are, quote, smart. (laughs) (laughs) And he feels dumb. Mm -hmm. So I actually have the same house and it has the exact same paragraph that you just read which I think just explains why we work so well together because we are literally almost the same but my son is in Scorpio so everyone always thinks Scorpios are like ooh sex just obsessed with it because it's like the passion part intensity Mm -hmm. that it actually talks about here 
I always thought Scorpios were intense too, but like, the thing is, is like, I feel like I know you're a Scorpio. Yeah. I feel like you maybe don't radiate as much energy as like my dad as a Scorpio. It definitely has to do with your rising sign. My dad is a Scorpio or my stepdad is a Scorpio. Hi dad. I I know you're listening. I would say I'm definitely a know-it-all, but I think that just comes from how I was raised because literally my dad is a know-it-all. And all of my brothers are know-it-alls. Yeah. And I got that trait as well. (laughs) It says, Scorpios are known for their intensity. They are determined folk that absolutely throw themselves into whatever they do. But getting them to commit to something is rarely an easy task. In fact, it's better to even try to get them to do... It's better not to try and get them to do anything. Solar Scorpios absolutely have their own mind and their primary motivation is unlikely to be prestige or even authority. It's real power. Their power can absolutely be of the behind the scenes variety just as long as they have it. To others, Scorpios seem to have plenty of willpower. They probably do. Scorpios know what they want and they won't go out and grab it at the wrong moment. They simply sit back, watch quite expertly and then get it only when the moment is just right. This apparent patience is simply their powerful skills at strategy at work. Scorpio isn't afraid of getting their hands, their bodies, their minds dirty. The darker side of life intrigues them and they're always ready to investigate. With that, I don't know if I have patience at all. (laughs) (laughs) I am the most impatient person. Like, anything that doesn't give me instant gratification, I drop, which Mm -hmm. is kind of the part where it's saying I throw myself into something, but getting me to commit to it is horrible. (laughs) I feel the same with that, too. It's, my patience is horrible. And the darker side of life, intriguing me, not so sure about that. I, I don't know. Like... I don't know what that means. Like death? Wait, what? (laughs) It says the darker side of life intrigues them and they're always ready to investigate. So like things that like my mom gets, she doesn't like anything like super gory or anything. So she thinks it's weird that I listen to true crime podcasts and stuff like that. Cause she's like, why would you listen to that or whatever? But like, like that kind of stuff like intrigues me. Like, I don't know, like. You like American Horror Story. Yeah, I guess like you like more. Gore. Like, I like war movies. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's just because I think I'm a history buff. It's intensity. Like, yeah, I guess. It also says Scorpios simply never give up. They have tremendous staying power. They're not in the slightest intimidated by anybody or anything. <laughs> Confrontations are not a problem. <laughs> that is absolutely false. And that could just be because of my anxiety. But I, the confrontations go well in my head. So maybe yeah. that's just like my deeper being being like, no, you can do it. But my social anxiety is like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says, in fact, talk to any Scorpio about their lives and you'll probably be in awe at all they've gone through. Trauma seems to follow them wherever they go. When Scorpio learns optimism instead of expecting the worst, they'll find that they possess amazing regenerative powers the power to heal create and transform 
So in the short description, there's a potential issues. Mm -hmm. It says she is suspicious, defiant, extremist. She is sometimes vindictive. Which, if people cross me, hell yeah, I'm vindictive. (laughs) Fuck. Hell yeah, I'm vindictive. (laughs) Okay. So, we're moving on to the moon. Um, And it says, the moon represents the emotional responses, unconscious predestination, and the self-image. The moon represents the emotions, and the moon sign shows how a person expresses themselves when at home, at ease, and comfortable. So, this is like... With the people that know you best, the people you trust the most, how you act around them. Mm-hmm. What's your moon? So my moon is in Aquarius, and this is way too fucking much to read, so I'm just going to go yeah. to the short description. Yeah, okay. It says, she's sociable, intelligent, and lucid. Thanks to great sociability, she has many friends. No. <laughs> um, she's modern, original, inventive, non conformist and is likely to bring new life to everything else she does or everything she does which yes I think again going back to like being raised in a military family um I always thought I was more adaptive and more sociable and like I made friends really easily because of that I I don't think I have many Friends, I had. I feel like I did have a lot of friends in high school, but um, I don't think you're. I don't think anybody really stays friends with their group from high school. Yeah, I only have like one really good friend that I still talk to from high school, Liz, and Grace is my other best friend, and Peter is my boyfriend and my best friend. And I mean, I have a lot of like acquaintances, like I know. Yeah, I feel a lot like of people. maybe you don't get that close, but you right. definitely. Acqu- Require, like people like you very yeah. easily yeah I feel like I get along with pretty much everybody yeah I just kind of stick to a close group of you know close circle and then go on with that um some potential issues with my moon being in Aquarius she's eccentric with sharp mood str- mood swings and a complex love life which I don't really think it's that complex right now I think I've only been in one other relationship Yeah, I think it's too early to tell. Yeah. Um, But definitely, yeah, sharp mood swings, which, ooh, those get nasty sometimes. Oh, and my moon is in the eighth house, which says she has a predilection. Predilection? Yeah, I don't know what that means, but that's a word. A predilection for deep and profound dreams, romantic fantasies. Ooh. Romantic fantasies figure strongly, uh, possibly quite interested in the occult. I don't know what that is. <laughs> While you have a strong need for emotional security, I'm also a person who's drawn to pushing my own limits. Many lifestyle changes can be the result of this. Need to challenge or reinvent myself emotionally. I'm always fascinated with how people work, taboos, secrets, and all that is forbidden or hidden. Sexual unrest or apparent need for constant change in sexual partners or to challenge yourself sexually. I damn. Well, hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't really have this constant need to change sex partners. No, I don't, I don't really yeah. have much to elaborate on that. Um, connecting with another person intimately is an emotional need. 
but your challengeable emotions might often get away, get in the way of your goal. Jealousy, possessiveness might also be qualities I struggle with. At my best, however, I'm a person who's intimate, deep, and intensely loyal to a partner. Yeah. So, I like a lot of sexual partners, but I do be loyal to a partner. When you get one. When I get one. Um, so, my moon is in Taurus. I, I love Tauruses. I don't know much about... Like, what month is that supposed to be normal? They're, uh, May. Beginning of May. Beginning of May. May. <gasps> Wait. End of April. Oh, so, okay. So, one of my best friends, Meg, is a Taurus. They're an Earth sign, too. Yeah. So, the short description says, Sweetness itself. Convinced of their ideas and strong-willed, she is foresighted and willful. She knows how to trust. She appreciates all the good things in life. She appreciates and protects nature. Some possible issues, though, are excesses in pleasure, laziness, sensuality, and thoughtlessness. Which I don't think thoughtlessness. I think I think about everything. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Well, yeah, I think that has to do with anxiety, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's in the ninth house. Mm-hmm. So it says she is highly imaginative, prolonged studies, intuitive. Professionally successful abroad in import-export or as a diplomat. Contact with foreigners. Long journeys. Ability to learn foreign languages. Which I sucked at French, so <laughs> not sure about that. You're good at sign language, though. But that's muscle memory. That's It's still a language. Yeah, I suppose. A finger language. <laughs> <laughs> this is a position that can indicate a deep longing for stimulation above and beyond the everyday mundane routine. You are a philosophical sort, interested and curious about the world, other people, and perhaps different cultures. Which I guess is true. I don't want to stay in the U.S. I kind of would like to live in England, but that's will be figured out at a later date. <laughs> um, you can be extremely restless and discontented. If you don't have a definite goal in mind, you might find yourself longing to be somewhere else when you are unhappy, imagining that if you were to move or travel, you'd be much happier. However, this attitude can only keep you from enjoying and improving upon the situation you are now in, only serving to make you feel more unhappy in the present and with your current circumstances. Trying to avoid the attitude that the grass is always greener on the other side will be important while attending to your needs to get away from time to time will help scratch the seemingly incurable itch for something more. Wow. <laughs> I I don't know. Trying to think if that's true or not. I've only ever lived in two places. Yeah. I was born and raised in my hometown. Literally the hotel. The hotel I was born in. <laughs> the hospital I was born in is literally the neighborhood over from mine. Oh, okay. And now I live here. I mean, do you like traveling? I love traveling. But I don't think I've, I'm like too uneasy to do it. I'll, like, I don't know. <laughs> I definitely don't see myself like, like settling. Yeah, in one else. spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, like definitely not. I don't know. Again, you can't sell the future over no. here. 
So we'll see. <laughs> and now our rising. Rising. So or ascendant. Yeah, it's technically in house one. But it says house one is the area of self-identity. The ascendant is a symbol of how one acts in life. It is the image of the personality as seen by others and the attitude that one has towards life. So this is really just how other people perceive you at first before they know you. And then you're your moon in front of them. <laughs> um, okay, so my ascendant is cancer or is in cancer. Um, you emotional bitch! I know. <laughs> These people come across as gentle creatures. Uh, there's something familiar about them. They're the guy or the gal next door. Uh, when they enter a room, they don't walk in with a splash. Instead, they move to the sides and weave their way inwards. Uh, these people have a familiar feel to them. Um, they're rather sensitive to their environment and can get flustered easily, especially in public. That is when I get most emotional is when I'm being yelled at by somebody else, especially. Mm -hmm. Like, I will just start crying just because yeah. you're yelling at me. It wouldn't be the argument in particular that I would be crying about. It it's would just, just be the yelling. The fact that they're yelling. Yeah. Right. Same. Yeah, I can. And I've definitely cried multiple times already from Peter <laughs> just playing video games. And I'm just... I'm, emotional and I was also on my period. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, when new situations present themselves, they can immediately withdraw or act shy. Uh, these people come across as caring people. Uh, they seem quite sweet, even innocent. Usually these people appear unassuming, although quite approachable. Um, cancer ascendants, however, have retreated into themselves so much as to be Quite the opposite. Since Capricorn is on the descendant, Cancer ascendant people are looking for structure and security in their partner and their relationship. These people function best when their partner displays strength, financial, and emotional stability and know-how. In fact, many Cancer ascendants prefer it when their relationship as well has well-defined rules. Security is a basic need. They're generally more willing to give up some personal freedom in order to get it. Hmm. Um, in some cases, cancer Senate people can surprise their partners. Why? Because they come across rather unamusing, family-oriented people. When it comes to <laughs> marriage, they have a rather matter-of-fact, practical approach. Huh. I don't really like that. No, I but, don't think that's you at all. But that's just, again, this is just how people perceive you at right. first. So... I'm a crybaby and unapproachable. Nice. I think I look pretty no. approachable. I think I look... You do got that rusty bitch face sometimes. Do I really? Sometimes. Like, just like... Asterix, resting bitch face, asterix. <laughs> <laughs> My rising is in Virgo. <laughs> it says people with Virgo rising are often a little understated in their personal mannerisms and appearance, although a lot depends on the position of Mercury, the ruling part. Oh, should I look at my Mercury then? Hmm. Where's my Mercury? Scorpio. <laughs> All right. I don't know what, really what that means. But anyways, 
Generally, there is an intelligent and reserved aura about Virgo rising individuals that is unmistakable. These are actually somewhat shy people who need time to analyze things around them before they warm up to both situations and people. That is absolutely true. Yeah. I don't let people in to me mm-hmm. until I get a second to analyze Assess them. Assess them, yeah. To see if they're worthy figure of Figure out their vibe. You. Yeah. <laughs> this quality can be rece- received exactly as that, or it can be received as a rather standoffish, cool, and even critical manner, depending on the audience. I have had so many people come up and tell me, I thought you hated me when we met. I hated, or like, you seemed so mean when we met. Like, I thought you were so mean. Just because I don't because you're talk literally to gorgeous. <laughs> Shut up. Like okay, here's here's the thing is like that that's the thing is like we didn't become close until we just finally broke the ice. Yeah, and then we started like getting closer to each other. But before we broke the ice, we didn't really talk to each other that much. And I was like, oh, she's really pretty, and she's got a pretty friend. Stop. And, like, she's not gonna want to be friends with me. One of the biggest personality traits of this position is body awareness. People with Virgo ascendants are sensitive to any discomfort or other signal their body gives them. I have the worst pain tolerance in the whole wide world. (laughs) And I'm definitely a hypochondriac. So, like, literally any pain in my body, I'm like, I have cancer. Yeah. Yep. I I noticed that. I'm not gonna... (laughs) I'm like... Everything smells weird. (laughs) Everything tastes weird. Can you smell this? Because I... I (laughs) Everything smells. (laughs) (laughs) Many are especially interested and concerned with physical health, and some are attracted to mind-body awareness exercises such as yoga. Mm. I like yoga. Virgo rising people are often rather particular about food. Yeah. Although some have good appetites, there can be an unmistakable pickiness about what they put in and on their bodies. My dad will not put pepper on anything. That's fucking weird. He refuses to use pepper. He's like, no, just the salt. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm picky. I don't like seafood, but that's about it. I try stuff. It takes me a while, but I try it. You just started liking pickles. Randomly. <laughs> I have no idea. Virgo ascendant natives have a tendency to worry a lot, especially when confronted with new situations. They notice the tiniest details that others overlook. Those two sentences is me in a nutshell. I worry about everything and it translates to overthinking at night when I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah. And I'm very, very observant. Mm -hmm. Like, when Taylor tells me that I didn't remember something right, it makes me so angry because I know I'm right. Oh, yeah. He's like, I have a fantastic memory. So, like, if you try to tell me that I am wrong, like, no, I'm maybe I remembered it wrong, but I fucking remember. I feel like I remember everything. Yeah. And I notice everything. Keeps the myelin sheath strong in your neurons. Spidey senses. (laughs) You know, many people with this possession, possession, position have a tendency to attract or be attracted to people who need help. Their relationships may be confusing as a result. Is this why we're friends? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. I feel like I'm definitely there for my friends if they need help. I feel like I'm- But you don't look for it. I don't look for it. I'm not attracted to it, but Mm -hmm. it says tendency to attract people who need help. So maybe. Despite the Virgo rising tendency to appear rather collected and professional, 
Relationships can sometimes be messy simply because these natives don't always see their partners and partnerships clearly. There's a quiet charm to many Virgo rising people. Once they have a chance to warm up to new people and situations, you will find that they have a lot to offer. They'll help you out of a jam, go out on a limb for you, and surprise you with a natural modesty under a somewhat critical and standoffish manner. Well, I think we've already established that your match is Virgo because I am your friend and your boyfriend is also a Virgo. Yeah. And maybe that's because I just relate heavily with your deeper being and Taylor's yes. deeper being. Yes. Our meticulous energies. Yeah. I wish I knew what time Taylor was born. So you could look at his birth chart. Yeah, but I don't want to be one of those girls that's like, what time were you born? <laughs> so I can really ask his mom. dig in. To, but that would be weirder. I don't think either of them know. I'm going to ask him tonight. Okay. So are we ready to... On to the music. The meat and potatoes of the podcast. The meat and potatoes. Potato. I'd like to say first, this week... We are going into Laurel Canyon in the 70s. Yes. We're be transporting back and we're transporting to California. Layla, take it away. All right. So this week I am covering Fleetwood Mac. I'm pretty sure everybody. (laughs) Why are you doing it now? You did it good. Really? Yeah. Nice. I just, um, so, I copied you. <laughs> so Grace and I have this inside. It's not even really an inside joke. It's just like I have this weird talent of sounding like some artists when I, I, I can I can do some impressions of people. So I have this Stevie Nicks thing and I'll just randomly I think it started we were just hanging out at someone's house and I just came up behind her and I was like, now here you go again, you say. <laughs> and we both just started laughing. She was like, why did you sound like her? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. So anyways, Fleetwood Mac. Um, so I'm going to give a little brief overview before we go into it because this is a fucking doozy. If you she's meaty. If you love Fleetwood Mac, if you like Fleetwood Mac, if you know who Fleetwood Mac is, you know how influential their music was in the 70s and 80s and I I mean it's still being played today. So so for a brief overview, actually so talk about my relationship with Fleetwood Mac for a second. So <laughs> Um, the only song I knew, well, the thing is, is I knew more Fleetwood Mac songs from my parents listening to them, but I didn't know they were Fleetwood Mac until right. much later. So the only song I had for a while was The Chain, which I really liked. And for the longest time, I didn't realize that Stevie Nicks was in Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. I thought Stevie Nicks was just like a completely different artist. She sounds so different. Right. In her solo stuff. And then when I started binging American Horror Story and I watched season three, which is Coven, um, they have a lot of Fleetwood Mac songs, Stevie Nicks specifically like targeted. Because she's for a freaking that. witch. Because she is a witch. She's in the show. She's a and witch. And I'll prove it with my freaking story. So <laughs> anyways, uh, so that's how I kind of got into Fleetwood Mac and then... Um, 
my my aunt, my Tia, uh, my Aunt Lisa is a very big Stevie Nicks fan as well as my grandma. So I'm sure they would appreciate this uh, little history lesson. So a brief overview. So they started off as a British blues combo in the 60s. Um, so they were originally from the UK. And then they involved into uh, the pop rock band that we all know and love today. Um, so the members, uh, the only two constant members that have been there since day one are Mick Fleetwood, who is the drummer of the band, and John McVie, who Hence is Fleetwood Mac, who is the bassist, <laughs> who provided the band with the name, which ironically, even though their names are the name of the band, they had the least influence on the music direction of the band. Oh. Um, so Peter Green and Jeremy Spencer were guitars for a while, and they both fell into uh, some mental crises. Ooh. Um, so they left, and then Christine McVie uh, was then added. And then in the mid-'70s, they were relocated to California and then added Lindsey Buckingham and the queen, Stephanie Lynn, Stephanie Lynn Nix, also known as Stevie Nix. So <clears throat> it all starts with... John Mayall's or Mayall's uh, Blues Breakers with Eric Clapton, oh. which, fun fact, he wrote a song about me called Layla. Uh, <laughs> you should give it a listen. The Blues Breakers with Eric Clapton, which John McVie joined in 1963. Peter Green eventually replaced uh, my boy Eric Clapton in 1966. And then Mick Fleetwood joined in 67. And the slide guitarist Jeremy Spencer joined that same year. They signed, Fleetwood Mac signed with uh, Blue Horizon and they released their EP debut. Even though it was a huge hit in the UK, it spent over a year in the top 10. Um, it was virtually ignored in the US. So Interesting. Yeah. In 1969, uh, they recorded Fleetwood Mac in Chicago with blues singers Willie Dixon and Otis Spann. But before... That album was released later in 69. The band had left Blue Horizon for a one-album deal with Immediate Records. And then they signed with Warner Bros. or Reprise in the U.S. And by 1970, Warner started releasing some of their British records, too. Fleetwood Mac then released the songs English Rose and then Play On in 69, which was a noticeable shift in their uh, genre mm -hmm. of music. That same year, Peter Green's Man of the World and Oh Well were number two hits. And even though his music was basically the backbone of the group at that time, he was growing more and more disturbed from his heavy drug use. 70s, lol. <laughs> I wrote in my notes. <laughs> and he suddenly left in the spring of 1970. So, Peter Green, goodbye. Bye, Peter. So, after he left, he ended up releasing two solo albums in the 70s, but he rarely performed live after Fleetwood Mac. Green was then replaced by Miss Christine Perfect, who was a singer and a pianist, who had a small following from uh, in the UK for singing with Spencer Davis in The Chicken Shack. She became an official member in 71 and was then married to John McVie by that time, so then that changes her name to Christine McVie, which she still goes by today, I believe. So... They released an album called Kiln House, which was their first record without Peter Green in it, but it didn't feature Christine yet. So the record was also mostly musically directed by Jeremy Spencer, who was one of the guitarists. 
Again, he was also on a downward mental spiral from drugs. Fun fact, actually really creepy fact, uh, during 1971, Fleetwood Mac was touring in America, and he just fucking disappeared. Hmm. And it was later found that he joined a religious cult called Children of God. <gasps> no way. <laughs> and that kind of fucked the band over. So they were kind of like in shambles for a little bit. They didn't have much musical direction. Yeah. Wait, this um, was Jeremy? Yes. Yeah. Fucking Jeremy. So after, after he left, they went through a few different guitarists. And then <laughs> another fucking... Crazy thing. Uh, in 74, Fleetwood Mac's manager, Clifford Davis, formed a fake Fleetwood Mac, and they toured the U.S. Uh, and then the OG Fleetwood Mac obviously filed and won a lawsuit against the impostas yeah. who, um, after that lawsuit, they started performing under the name Stretch. I don't really want to know anything about them. I think it's fucked that they were imposters in the first place i don't want to hear their music now i wonder how often that happens that band names get stolen like yeah yeah so then after that whole lawsuit happened um fleetwood mac in 74 they moved to cali in hopes to get some new talent to revive them in early 75 mick fleetwood and john McBee were auditioning for a new record when they heard buckingham nicks an album by soft rock duo Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, who I believe were in a they were in a romantic fling when before they yeah. even went to Fleetwood Mac. So it's crazy that they combined two bands that were both their last names. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac and Buckingham Nicks. Yep. So the pair was asked to join, and their prayers of revival were answered. Lindsay and Stevie literally brought exactly what the band fucking needed. Hell yeah, they did. Um, so Lindsay was an amazing songwriter, and Stevie turned basically turned into the face of Fleetwood Mac. And she has this beautiful husky voice, mm. and she had this sexy gypsy onstage persona that everybody loved. Mm. So that the new lineup that they had with uh, with Stevie, they released their EP debut in 1975, and it slowly became a huge hit, reaching number one in 1976. Thanks to hits like Over My Head and Rhiannon and Say You Love Me, which I only know Rhiannon and I'll sing a little bit right now. Rihanna rings like a bell <laughs> through the night and wouldn't you love to love her? Your impression is so spot on, we're going to get copyrighted because of it. Guys, I'm not Stevie <laughs> Nicks. This voice is not. We don't own the rights to that song. <laughs> So the songs that I do know, I, I'll sing a little clip of it because we can't put the actual songs in here, which kind of works out good that I sound. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so they reached number one in 76. And though the success was great behind the scenes, the McVees had divorced in 76 and Stevie and Lindsay's relationship ended, which fueled the songs for their next album. Interesting. Rumors, ah. their number one album yeah. ever. So 77, the year my dad was born and the year the first Star Wars movie came out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. I know. I guess we never explained that. So my parents are n- renowned now for, for being super young parents for me because my my mom 
My dad is the oldest of my parents. He was born 77, so he's 42 now. And then my mom was born in 79, which makes her 41. And <laughs> the doozy. My stepdad and my stepmom. Actually, my stepdad was born in 84, which makes him 36. You guys, my parents got married in 85. Yeah. Let that sink in a little bit. Her stepdad was one when my parents got married. My stepdad also graduated when I was a year old. Right. Not even. She, my I'm mom really older isn't that than much older your stepdad. than him. Yeah. What were we talking about? Uh, so, rumors. Oh, yes. So, it was released in 77, and it was a blockbuster success. It topped the US and the UK charts with help from songs... You can go your own way, go your own way, <laughs> uh, go your own way, dreams, which I already sang earlier, now here you go again, and uh, don't stop and you make loving fun, and that helped the record sell over 17 million, oh, okay, I need to go back, reverse a little bit, because, um, their EP actually released over 5 million copies in the U.S. Rumors were uh, sold over 17 million copies in the U.S. alone, making it the second biggest selling album of all time. And after their crazy Rumors tour, uh, they were back in the studio recording their follow-up to Rumors. Tusk was released in uh, 1979, which was the year my mom was born, <laughs> and was largely influenced by Lindsey Buckingham and was... Very ex experimental and obviously didn't reach rumor success despite hits like Sarah, which, hold on. That's Sarah, <laughs> you're a poet in my heart. Layla. Never change, never stop. You're crazy. <laughs> but now it's gone. I can't do it anymore. There are just like moments <laughs> where it's just like, that is Stevie Nicks. <laughs> oh, Sarah and Tusk. So after the Tusk tour, uh, Mick Fleetwood, Lindsay, and Stevie, they were all recording solo albums, the most successful being Stevie's 81 record, Belladonna. Duh. And had hits like Stop Dragging My Heart Around, Leather and Lace, and Edge of Seventeen, the iconic hit that we all know. And then, so Lindsay had an 81 album too called Law and Order, which was a slight success with uh, the top 10 hit Trouble. Fleetwood Mac got back together to record their 1982 record Mirage that dubbed this the songs Hold Me and You See Your Gypsy. So after Mirage, they went on a little hiatus due to a few reasons, um, but Stevie was ultimately kind of becoming the breakaway star at that point. And at that point too, everybody was fucking dealing with substance addiction yeah. and stuff like that. So they reunited to record a new album in 1985, which would end up being Lindsey Buckingham's uh, last Fleetwood Mac project. And then, so Tango in the Night was released in 1987. And it reached the top 10 with hits like Little Lies, Seven Wonders, and Everywhere. So after Lindsey left, um, they replaced him with guitarists Billy Burnett and Rick Vito. Uh, and they recorded their 1990 record, Behind the Mask, which was their first album since 1975 to not go gold. Yeah. 
After that, Stevie and Christine uh, announced that they would stop touring with Fleetwood Mac, but they oh. would continue to record with them. It's kind of boring. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But I'm sure she was had her own solo tours right. to worry That's about. True. Rick Vito had left the band in 91, and the next year Fleetwood Mac released a box set called 25 Years the Chain. Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, and Christine McVie, Lindsay Buckingham, and Stevie Nicks reunited to play former President Bill Clinton's inauguration in early 93, hmm. but it didn't lead to a full reunion. So then later in 1993, uh, Stevie Nicks left and left fully and was replaced by Becca Bramlett and Imagine Dave replacing Mason. Stevie Nicks right. in Fleetwood Mac. Hell no. Nah. Like, there's no way you think that you're going to be bigger than mm-hmm. her. So, and then after that, Christine McVie left... Uh, and then the new lineup began touring in 1994, releasing Time in 1995 that got literally zero attention no. whatsoever. Because Stevie's not there. Right. Who cares? No one. Yeah. <laughs> so the new, obviously the new Fleetwood Mac wasn't successful, but neither were any of their solo careers that right. they went on. So um, a reunion was in the works and they were back together by 1997 and the classic Rumors Quintet did a live show that made uh, the 97 album The Dance, which gave us Landslide, mm. and which really? was a more adult contemporary song. Yeah. I didn't know that that was that late. Which, uh, which is, it's like St- how Stevie sounds now is how yeah. she sounds on that song. Right. Exactly. Which I guess it was only... Which I never really thought about, like, how music sounded, like, when it was first released, like, that back then because yeah. pretty much everything that was released before the 80s is like now remastered right so I feel like we only listen to the remastered versions now so because like looking back at like the the music videos that they had for um their music they it sound it doesn't sound like the the album version mm-hmm. which I'm sure it did then right so yeah, landslide. Which also I wanted to <laughs> do a little side story because uh, my my mom was a Dixie Chicks fan for mm-hmm. some reason, and <laughs> um, so I actually never knew that landslide was Fleetwood Mac's song until oh. later in life because I I always knew the Dixie Chicks version mm-hmm. first. So yeah. So then uh, Fleetwood Mac was then inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998. And not long after, Christine McVie announced her leaving again. Again. Uh, The remaining quartet released Say You Will in April of 2003. I was two. (laughs) Actually, no, I was one. Which was their first studio album in eight years. And the first in 16 years to feature Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Uh, which the album did good and went gold in the U.S. and the U.K. and Canada with hits like Say You Will and Peacekeeper. So actually, I added this in later, but um, in 2011, because they toured, they toured in 2009 and in 2013, um, and then the group celebrated their 35th anniversary of Rumors with a oh new God. deluxe box accompanied by a tour. And so in 2011, Coven was released. So Stevie mm-hmm. Nicks was on, she filmed a, f- a couple, a few episodes with them. So she did that, which I think is really cool that they, yeah. they, cause 
the to explain it, there's just one witch in particular that is in love with Stevie Nicks, and they call her the White Witch. And I mean, you you go back to like the live shows that they did and before uh, she sang Rihanna, and she was yeah. like, this is a song about an old Welsh witch. <laughs> uh, so then in September of 2013, Christine McVie was seen with Fleetwood Mac for the first time in 15 years. And in January 2014, the band announced uh, that she would be rejoining them again. <laughs> Christine is all over Christine the place. is bipolar as fuck. <laughs> she... So they were working on, an al- uh, on a new album for a bit, um, and then they released... A super deluxe reissue of Tusk in time for the holidays in 2015. Um, a deluxe reissue of Mirage the next fall. And again with Tango in the Night in 2017. They did the super deluxe remasters or whatever. Mm-hmm. The album that they were working on was uh, eventually released in June of 2017, but really didn't go anywhere. I don't yeah. even know what it's called. <laughs> like, I, I didn't find the name of that one. Really? I, I mean, I think it's just Fleetwood Mac, probably. It's just a self-titled. self-titled. In early 2018, Fleetwood Mac reunited to celebrate winning uh, Music Care's Person of the Year Award, which that was evidently uh, Lindsey Buckingham's last concert with Fleetwood Mac. Though in April, he was fired from the band and oh he filed a lawsuit against them, which I could not find a whole lot of information of why they fired him, but probably drugs. So then Fleetwood Mac hired uh, Neil Flynn and Mike Campbell to replace him, and they released a compilation album called 50 Years Don't Stop. 50 Years. To go with uh, the tour, and it debuted at number 12 on the UK charts and 65 on Billboard's Top 200. Their concert album, Before the Beginning, Rare Live and Demo Sessions, 1968 through 1970, came out in November of 2019 and featured unreleased live shows. And it captured some moments with Peter Green with the band. And this remembrance of his glory days came only a few months before he died in his sleep on July 25th, 2020 at age 73. And two months after his passing, the band released another box set focused between 1969 and 1974 when he was in the band. And that is Fleetwood Mac in a nutshell. Some songs that I love from Fleetwood Mac are Gypsy, The Chain, Dreams, Silver Springs, Seven Wonders, and Go Your Own Way. And these are some related artists, which I actually pretty much know most of them this time. Uh, Steve Miller Band. Uh, some songs by them are Joker and oh, what was that song we heard in the car the other day? It's just the same thing over and over again. Oh, Fly Like an Eagle. Oh. So Steve Miller Band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, which is one of my Grandpa Steve's favorite bands. <laughs> the Eagles, Doobie Brothers, Don mm. Henley and Billy Joel, or the- as my mom and I like to say, Jilly Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's hear about the moms and the papas. Yes. Let's take a gander back a few years to a different house in Laurel Canyon, California. So the mamas and the papas, uh, like you, I'm going to talk about my relationship with them first. Mm -hmm. I actually, growing up, I knew one song of theirs, which was Dream a Little Dream of Me. And it's technically just a Mama Cass song. Um, because my dad put it on my iPod because his mom, my Nana, used to sing it to him as a lullaby. 
And I, it is a beautiful, beautiful song. So that's how I know about the Mamas and the Papas. So when we talked about doing either 70s or a Laurel Canyon theme, they are immediately who I thought of. Technically, the founding member is John Phillips. Before getting into music, he was in a military school and was a plebe in the Navy, but dropped out in his first year. Then he tried to go to a liberal arts college and dropped out (laughs) to pursue folk music. His first band was called The Journeymen, and they were actually signed by Capitol Records and made three albums. But when they broke up, he started The New Journeymen, uh, which is where that also didn't work out, but it's where he met his wife, Michelle. Michelle Gillum. Mm-hmm. But now she's Michelle Phillips. Yeah. Michelle is from California and Mexico. She was raised in Mexico, so she speaks fluent Spanish. And she dropped out of school to be a model, but then got into music and, or at least the music scene. She was friends with musicians. And that's how she met John. The two of them were, lived in Greenwich Village in 65, which is where they met Denny Doherty. I think I'm saying his wrong, his name wrong. And Cass Elliott. So Denny is actually from Nova Scotia. He was in the band The Hepsters and The Colonials, or they renamed themselves as The Halifax Three. And Mama Cass is from Maryland. Her real name is Ellen Cohen, but she's Cass Elliot, or Mama Cass as we know her. Mama Cass. Mama Cass. Mama. And she was in a band called The Big Three mm-hmm. with Jimi Hendrix. Ooh. <laughs> Just- okay. When he was James Hendrix, spelled H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S, not mm, with so, an X. So young James Hendrix. Mm. Young James Hendrix. So they met during the American folk music revival in Greenwich Village. Here's some controversy. That's what I love about this band. One, they are all over the place. Two, they have so much drama and it's really fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. The first controversy is that John almost didn't want Cass in the band because her voice was too low and he didn't think it would work with his arrangements. What a fucking day. And he was worried about her weight. Oh my God. Like, like ruining the appearance of the band. Aretha Franklin. Um, literally. Hello. Like literally the whole, the side story of School of Rock is exactly. about weight. So. And how it doesn't matter. Yeah. He got over himself, Mm -hmm. and they all traveled to the Virgin Islands, also in 1965, to rehearse together and do acid. They literally, multiple times, they just go to the Virgin Islands to do drugs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So then they got an audition with Dunhill Records in L.A. Oh, so they actually sang California Dreamin' at this Mm -hmm. um, audition. So they had already made the song. It's literally their most popular song ever. So they got signed, but their first recording was actually background vocals on Barry McGuire's album, The Precious Time, which Mm -hmm. came out in December of 65. Mm -hmm. But also by that time, their song Go Where You Want to Go was out, but it failed to chart. Mm -hmm. So basically at that point, they were still putting out 45s of their singles. Obviously CDs or anything didn't exist. (laughs) 
So Go Where You Want to Go was on the A side and California Dreamin' was on the B side. So they basically just flipped it and re-released it. Mm -hmm. And it ended up peaking at number four on the U.S. charts. Yeah. So that led to their first album, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears, which came out in February of 66 and became their only number one on the Billboard 200 because it had California Dreamin' on it (laughs) pretty much. But also their song Monday Monday, which is also a single on that album, mm-hmm. won a Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a group in the 67 Grammys. Okay. So this is where it all gets very, very confusing. Okay. Their second album was self-titled, but at the top it said all their names. So people called it Cast John, Michelle, and Denny, mm-hmm. which is weird. They spelled Denny wrong on the... <laughs> oh my god but that's on, so embarrassing nobody knows why if it was on purpose but it's spelled d-e-n-n-i-e instead of d-e-n-n-y hmm. but that came out in september of 66 it peaked at number four on the billboard 200 this had singles like i saw her again and words of love they also had a cover of martha and the vandellas dancing in the street on the a side of this album some drama hey <laughs> Michelle, little sneaky bitch, had an affair with Denny. Oh my god! And Jean Clark of the Birds, who also lived in Laurel, uh, Laurel Canyon. Oh wow! And this, uh, these affairs actually inspired the song "I Saw Her Again." <laughs> so this bitch is just <laughs> fucking everybody. And they kicked her out of the band. Oh yeah! Before this album was released in June of '66. Wow! So she recorded the album. She, they she recorded the whole album and got kicked, kicked out right before it came Jesus out. Jesus fucking Christ. Did she make every, any money off of it? Yeah. So they replaced her with Jill Gibson. She was originally recorded with Jan and Dean, who were also a California duo. And so she replaced Michelle immediately on their TV appearances. But then they let Michelle back into the band mm-hmm. again right before the album came out. Just like Christine. Man, yeah, just fucking in and out. So they let Michelle back in. They paid Jill for her performances mm-hmm. on TV. So Michelle was reinstated right before the album comes out in September of 66. Yeah. So then they go on an East Coast tour and simultaneously worked on a new album called The Mamas and the Papas Deliver. Again, it was just called Deliver, but they always had their name right there, right in front of it. So it's The Mamas and the Papas Deliver. <laughs> the singles were Look Through My Window, which more all over the place this single came out before the last single from their second album Mm -hmm. so it came out before their second album but it's on the third album oh wow (laughs) that peaked at number 24 their second single dedicated to the one i love released february of 67 it peaked at number two Mm. which is kind of dedicated to one i love are you really michelle i don't think she wrote it (laughs) but I don't know, man. Michelle, confirm. <laughs> the third was Creek Alley, re- released in April of 67, peaked at number five. And this tells the history of the band, the early history. So it talks about Barry McGuire and That's a song Mama Cass. Yeah, right? Mama Cass being fat. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking important shit. Yeah. Some controversy. June 67, they organized and performed at the Monterey International Pop Festival, Mm -hmm. 
they headlined it. Ooh. But they were super under-rehearsed. Oh, no. So John and Michelle helped organize the festival, so they were preoccupied. Oh. Denny had just gotten back last minute from the Virgin Islands, where... Guess How what the he, fuck are you going to headline a, an event that you're organizing? No idea. So Denny had just got back from the Virgin Islands. We all know what he was doing there. At this, Not good things! <laughs> at this point, he's an alcoholic. He's yeah. he's drinking off the guilt of sleeping with Michelle. You oh, know. God. Yeah. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix opened for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and their performance actually went quite well, despite all of their... I mean, it's the mamas and the papas. They're yeah. going to do well no matter what. Right. They were just not up to their standard. Up to par. Yeah. So then they put out a song called Glad to be Unhappy in October of 67. This was a no album single. And then some more drama. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I keep in mind, this is only two years into the band. (laughs) Jesus They've got so much drama. The other bandmates, especially Mama Cass, were so sick of how much a perfectionist John Phillips was. They said it literally took them a month to make one song just because he just kept making him do it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So during the making of their fourth album, they decided to go on a break. This was in September of 67. Probably much needed at that point. And by October, they were already planning shows in Europe. Hey, back together. Two months. They were like, we're on a hiatus, but only lasted two months. Mm -hmm. But then drama, drama, drama. When they got there, Mama Cass was arrested for stealing blankets and the hotel key from their hotel. Because at that point, they were using real keys, mm. not freaking cards. Oh, yeah. But when they opened the case, it, it was revealed that they weren't really interested in her taking those things because it was only worth like $28 of right. what she stole. But her partner at the time didn't, first of all, didn't pay the bill. And then it was he was also suspected suspected of drug trafficking ew i think that's probably because they just had massive amounts of drugs with them when they were going on tour (laughs) they were just personal drug traffickers right but who knows i don't think that case ever went anywhere Mm -hmm. so they actually they evidently canceled the shows because mama Cass was in jail yeah but then they had a party in england to celebrate her acquittal and there's this anecdote that i found that Mama Cass was having this great conversation with Mick Jagger Mm -hmm. about the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And... Oh, Mick Jagger. Harry Styles. (laughs) Harry Styles' dad. And John interrupts this conversation, like, kind of dismissing Mama Cass. And he said something along the lines of, oh, she's got it all wrong. Like, this is actually what happened. Mm -hmm. And Mama Cass fucking blew up. Rightfully so, at Mm -hmm. John. She yells at him and storms out of the room. Goodbye. And that was the end of the Mamas and the Pops. Mm-hmm. They unofficially broke up, but reconciled to finish their last album called The Papas and the Mamas, mm-hmm. which came out in May of 68. And this is the one that their first album did not go gold or reach top 10. Some singles on this album were 1230, Safe in My Garden, and... My favorite, Dream a Little Dream of Me, which technically was a song originally put out by Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. And technically is Mama Cass's song, but the other band members were on it. So Mm -hmm. they put it on the album, but on the byline, it says Mama Cass and the Mamas and the Pops. 
this. Oh, okay. So the aftermath. Mama Cass, she has her successful solo career uh, coming off the wake of Dream a Little Dream of Me. She did a lot of television shows. She had a special called the Mama Cass Television Program on ABC in January of 69 and Don't Call Me Mama Anymore on CBS in September of 73. And she recorded more music such as Make Your Own Kind of Music and It's Getting Better, but she never surpassed Dream a Little Dream of Me. So she signed with RCA instead of Dunhill Records and she had three albums with them. None of them produced any charting music. Mm -hmm. She had Cass Elliot, so self-titled, The Road is No Place for a Lady, and Don't Call Me Mama Anymore. She died of a heart failure yeah. in 74. Rest in peace. I know. Oh she goodness. had a two-week, she had two weeks of shows planned at the Palladium. Oh, wow. And they were all sold out. Jeez. But she, she died. died. She actually had a child in 67, so during the band. John Phillips had a country-influenced solo album. So he's flipping genres like a madman. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was very reluctant to switch to pop in The Mamas and the Papas, but because yeah. he was originally with the, the folk music. Now he's country. Um, he, again, didn't have any, like, total commercial success. Rolling Stone gave his album, his self-titled album, Four Stars, in when it was reissued in 26... 26 in 2006 mm -hmm. calling it a genuine lost treasure mm -hmm. and actually Denny Kane had come out and said that if the mamas and the papas had recorded it it would be their best album oh yeah <laughs> which is kind of sad yeah um, he wrote songs for some soundtracks and he also wrote a stage musical uh man on the moon which did not go well yeah and then he got remarried to a woman named Genevieve mm-hmm he wrote, he did write Kokomo for the Beach Boys. Ooh, okay. So, yeah. He, although, <laughs> was a heroin addict all through the 70s. Oh, yes, heroin. And he got arrested and convicted in 1980 on a charge of conspiring to distribute narcotics for which he spent a month in jail in 81. Oh, wow. So then, as John Phillips does, he tried to create the new Mamas and the Papas. Mm -hmm. As he created the new journeyman. <laughs> but when his original journeyman did not work out. Yeah. So they did a few revival shows and TV specials. He told his side of the story. He made a, a memoir called Papa John. And he also made it into a PBS documentary. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa, Papa John's. John. Oh my god, Papa John. He also died of heart failure in 2001. Aww. They released his a few of his albums after he died. Mm-hmm. Actually, immediately after mm -hmm. April and then August of 2001. So that is John Phillips. Denny, um, his solo career faltered after the appearance of What You Gonna Do in 71. He had a, another album that wasn't released in the U.S. And his, that album actually features Michelle and Cass as background vocalists. And, and this was to be Elliot's last recorded performance was on Denny's album before she died. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he answered John Phillips' PBS documentary, documentary memoir with his own autobiographical stage musical 
Dream a Little Dream, the nearly true story of the Mamas and the Papas. Michelle, she had one solo album in 77. Again, didn't do very well. So she went on to a career in acting. Mm -hmm. She also published a memoir, California Dreamin' in 86. The same year John Phillips published his. A reviewer said reading the two books together was like reading the transcripts in a divorce trial. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the new Mamas and the Papas. They weren't very successful. So they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 98. Same year Fleetwood Mac was. Yeah, and they were also in the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2000. Nice. And the Hit Parade Hall of Fame in 2009. (laughs) Very nice. Also, Cass Elliott and Michelle Phillips as the Mamas were ranked 21 on the VH1 Network's list of 100's greatest women in rock. They made a few box sets. What was up with the fucking box sets in the set? Like they're still a thing. Yeah, my dad has like four. Do people actually buy the boxes, (laughs) or is it more like a? No idea. I've never bought a box. Okay. They also have this mysterious album that they released in 71, only to fulfill their contract with Dunhill Records. Oh, okay. So it was just like a filler. Yeah. It only became a thing because they were still under contract. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think Denny's still alive. Oh, no. He died. (laughs) Um, Denny died in 2007, age 66. Michelle is still alive. Hey, Michelle. Some of my staple songs from them are obviously California Dreamin'. We all know the Sia remake of yes. that. I actually had a, my competition dance sophomore year was to that song. Really? Was, so now I get PTSD from it. But it's still a great song by the Mamas and the Papas. And Dream a Little Dream of Me, which makes me emotional every time I listen to it. And I love it so much. Mama Cass's voice is just... Yeah. Beautiful. Amazing. And then I Saw Her Again is a very, very good song, despite being about Michelle cheating on John. Yeah. (laughs) Some related artists that I think, if you like the Mamas and the Papas, you should look at are The Love and Spoonful, um, Simon and Garfunkel, and Janis Joplin. Yes, I love Simon. So The Love and Spoonful is Do You Believe in Magic? Those three, I think, they... Not only were they friends with Janis Joplin yeah. and probably Simon and Garfunkel, because they, again, they all lived in California in Laurel Canyon, but yeah. Do we have any takeaways? The 70s was full of drugs and good music and... Was just... there only good music because of drugs? <laughs> <laughs> That's a question we'll never know the answer to. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed uh, this week's episode of Why Aren't We Sleeping. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Why Aren't We Sleeping. Twitter at WAWS Podcasts. We have a Discord server if you'd like to join. That link is in our link tree on Instagram. If you're supposed to be sleeping right now, go to sleep. Sleep tight, baby. And we will see you guys next week with a new episode. Or... In a couple weeks. We don't we don't know our uploading <laughs> schedule quite yet. We'll update you as we figure that out as well. We're new to this still. But yeah, have a good week and we will see you next time. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bat. Go to bed.